It is week 11 in college football. No team has played more than eight games, and the Pac-12 has only played one. And we are here to talk about last week's games that did and did not happen and preview week 11 in game two for the Pac-12. And we're going to reveal our Pac-12 power rankings. We're going to talk about the TV ratings, all the things that are going on in the nation with the cancellations and info from Merton Hanks. And also the conference has to be super flexible with game start times. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amsden. This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans, where you come to get the truth, you come to get the real, and of course, you come to be entertained. Uh, we are excited Pac-12 games finally happened, but make sure that you guys leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, share with a friend. So we have new ratings for all you people who um who rate our podcast we appreciate it and most of all we love talking about our ratings because they are fun and you guys are always interesting and leave the best ones so continue to do so i say leave a five-star rating ralph always says just just give us whatever you feel we deserve we have a silly amount of of non one star because usually if you hate the podcast you leave a one star review there's no reason for it to be anything other than one or five. We have like a good, probably one third of our reviews are something other than one or five. And I feel like that's my fault. It it, it should be. So, um, so we have two, two new ratings. Do you have them pulled up Ralph? I do. Okay. Go on. I'll let, I'll let you do it. Cause this is your, this is your part. All right. Uh, Friend of Hank says, great podcast if you want to relax and laugh and hear news about the Pac-12. I have wanted to write a positive review ever since I gave the podcast a poor review in the summer due to sound quality. (laughs) I regretted leaving a negative review after hearing that George wasn't actually doing dishes (laughs) in a podcast. Instead, he just had some technical problems. I look forward to listening to this podcast and usually save it for listening on the weekend. I enjoy the inside info about the Pac-12 and their views are always entertaining. Plus, George is a kind man who offered to buy my third grade students books from Scholastic Books once we get back to school in person. This sounds like a bribe. This sounds like I didn't even see that part of it. No, 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 no. So so what so what so what happened is, is she listened to my right or wrong podcast and um, and friend and friend of Hank was a is a is a teacher and and remember i was talking about because i think i talked to you about it too where i was talking about how the scholastic book fair like that was like the best thing but then the worst thing was not ever having any money to buy anything and so so she wrote me an email and this was months ago asking about you know if she was doing the wrong thing i think i think it's she yeah, was doing the wrong thing as a teacher by encouraging this because kids may not have money. And was she actually like shaming them and making them feel bad? And so oh, okay. I said, 
And so I told yeah, I used her, to I used to for sure steal from those as a poor kid. Yeah. So I'd wear jersey I would wear jersey shorts and I'd put books around my waist like they were bricks of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so so what I told her is is that I would buy the kids some some books That's because cool. I wanted to make sure that kids that they have some something to read. Like it had nothing to do. I didn't know that that this was the podcast <laughs> that she was listening to. I thought it was the other podcast. So yeah, so that's how that came about. So no, it was not a bribe. I was going to say, there's enough information in this review to make me think that it was an honest review. And then the little thing in there at the end, I'm like, oh, am I, are we committing a crime here? What's happening? <laughs> um, I've, Yeah, like I'm going to take issue with it. I just admitted to theft. Uh this is from this second review is from john's nine charl and the title is food cost three exclamation points this is gonna be bad for you for sure oh well Um, hold up tell them tell them what this is in in relationship to uh because chip kelly is trying to reenact brewster's millions by spending (laughs) 5.4 million dollars on food every single year um okay here's the review I really enjoy the show. Ralph is the best at explaining things, but George is completely wrong about food costs. I am a cook in the U S Navy on submarines. We get less than $11 a day to feed 120 people. We use prime rib for everything that is ground beef. It is all about balance. Keep up the good work. And I don't, I don't, you, you're going to have to help me with this last sentence. Ralph needs to do his late night ride explanations. Several exclamation points. Oh wait! Because you were talking about how you how you take drives all all over the place, and I guess he assumed that it was at late late night. I guess. Oh no! I just live far. <laughs> <laughs> I live. I live in. I live like pretty much. You could consider me part of California's inland empire, even though I live five hundred miles from it. I live in a little suburb island 20 miles south of phoenix surrounded by indian reservations so in no matter what i do i have to drive a lot and i like it um hopefully that's what they're talking about i don't know if there was another uh an, another thing but i don't know it could, it could, could be them help. bricks that you moving buddy them bricks of books <laughs> yeah by uh boxcar children uh i, I wish i it would have been a better story if i turned around and sell, sold them but i just i i just read them uh so this part though that says we get less than eleven dollars a day to feed one hundred twenty people is that per person? Yes, or? that's per person, dude. That's not eleven. <laughs> dude, what do you what do you, what do you okay. think they are like that 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 they're Jesus and they're feeding people off, of, off of a fish and five loaves of bread? Well, we are the Pac twelve apostles, I, I believe. Okay, anyway, forget that part. Hey, so that's what it says, though. We get less than eleven dollars a day to feed one hundred twenty people. Yes, not eleven total dollars. There's no way that's eleven total dollars. They, you can't feed eleven on prime rib. What do you, what are you yeah. making? Like you, you can't even make enough spaghetti. <laughs> but it says we use prime rib for everything that is ground beef. So it's saying they substitute prime rib for ground beef. No, no, that they so like you're having that they grind joke. it up. That they grind it up. So they, okay, so if you're having sloppy joes, that's prime rib in the sloppy joes. Correct. That's what he's saying. That's that I 
Now I'm curious. I want to try it. I want a prime rib sloppy Joe. Hook us up. Send us one in the mail from your from your submarine. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my son told me the other day he wanted to drive around the world. I was like, <laughs> uh, <sighs> I was like, you're nine, son. I, I need you to do better. <laughs> All right, man. Well, those were two five-star reviews I forgot to mention. So that brings us up to 42 overall ratings. And I believe that at least 30 of them are, are five stars. And, and we do have some people that change ratings every once in a while. And uh, yeah, if, if, if you want to go ahead and jump on iTunes uh, and, and leave us a review, we'll read it on the show. We will talk about it. And if you want to send us an email, those are a lot of fun too. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. I know you are hot on a comment by Mr. Merton Hanks, who is new to the Pac-12 office, because last week, out of all the games that were supposed to be played, Utah-Arizona was not played, and uh, Cal-Washington was not played. But Merton Hanks, who got off the phone with John Wilner, had this to say, quote, as of right now, we're on track to play all six games. Ralph, aren't you excited? But as you know, everything is subject to change at any time. It is Wednesday right now, 221 Pacific time. I know you're excited about that news, Ralph. Uh, they make me feel like a bad person for being mad at Merton Hanks. To being mad at the most fun-loving you know, just the the football player that had probably brought me the absolute most joy as a as a child, seeing him dancing out on on the field, and now he's just another suit, and I'm furious at him for multiple reasons. For one, the fact that he even exists as a buffer between Larry Scott and John Wilner and John Canzano. I thought he, his name was Michael Scott, <laughs> right? <laughs> But like the fact that Merton Hanks exists as a buffer between John Canzano and Larry Scott is infuriating to me because John Canzano is, I mean, he, there's no difference between, I mean, there's a difference between John Canzano and us as far as what John Canzano does and produces, but there's no difference between John Canzano and us as far as wanting Larry Scott out of that job. He, he actively promotes the idea of Larry Scott being fired. One, why doesn't Larry Scott have the stones to be able to go on John Canzano's show himself? And two, why, if you know that John Canzano has set out to see your uh, reign come to an end, why even entertain him? Why send Merton Hanks out there to, to talk to him? So I already I already have a little bit of an issue with Merton Hanks even being a buffer and that us having to suspend uh, our, our disbelief to have a, to witness a conversation between the two of them and pretend that like one side doesn't want the other one, you know, wholesale torn apart. Like if Larry Scott came on this show, I, all we would be talking about is, Hey, why do you still have this job? If Merton Hanks came on this show, I'd probably be in the same position of having you trying to talk me down of saying, Hey, why don't you go, you know, push that guy out a window or something like metaphorically, <laughs> right? Right. Like, wow. Merton, Merton, please help us, help us here. Like, and so I, I already, I resent the idea of having to look at Merton Hanks, who brought me so much joy as a football player is just another suit, just another cog in this machine. And now we had this, this quote, and it's the first time I've ever taken exception with something Merton Hanks has said with him saying that we're on track to have all six games this weekend because we're not. 
on track means that if nothing changes, then every game will get played. But George, if nothing changes, what's going to happen? Cal's not going to be playing if nothing changes. Then we're not on track. We're not on the track. We are off the track, hoping to get on track. It's just, uh, and, and I, and then here I am freaking out on the podcast with you after 10 months of waiting to even have football in the first place, thinking that I would just feel better once we finally got football. But instead it's like the first date that you get after you hit puberty, you figure like, Oh, I finally got a date, but like, no, now I'm just thinking about girls even more. Like the fact that we finally (laughs) had football. Now I'm just obsessed with the idea of like, all right, how do we make sure that we even keep any little bit of the football that we're, we're getting California's making it impossible. The PAC 12 rules that are in place are, are, are making it impossible. We had Utah surprise Arizona and no show, um, on, on, on that whole game. Um, and, and Cal and Washington, which was, you know, to me, really outside of USC ASU, the premier game of last week, that doesn't get played. Then you have Jimmy Lake come out and say, the only reason this happened is because they're in Berkeley. It wouldn't have happened if they were in Seattle. And it's just like, it, it makes you go back to all the times that you and I said as loudly as we possibly could, don't half-ass this season. Because you could yep. lose it. And losing it would be the only thing more painful than not having it. I feel like we're on the verge of losing it. And for Merton Hanks to not be able to admit that is, I just, I hate people pretending that things are okay when they're not, they're not okay right now. Yeah. Here. Okay. So here is the other part of that is this, is that Cal is supposedly that Cal believes that the players in quarantine, this is coming from Wilner, that players in quarantine should not be considered close contacts per the mitigation steps that were put in place uh, that were put in place based on state and local guidelines. So they've actually been putting in uh, Cal has put in more stringent uh, like they've had all their position meetings outside. They've been doing some virtual stuff doing even more so that way they wouldn't have to shut down, but the city hasn't even come in to come look. So supposedly they are in contact with the city and they're supposed to uh, they're hoping that they will rule that the players are not close contacts of the other person because they have continuously tested negative. And yeah, so I, I guess we're we're on track, Ralph. So right? Cal Cal feels like it's going to happen, but. There there's no indication whatsoever that it will. That's like saying you feel like you won an election by negative 4 million votes, but there's no evidence that you won an election by negative 4 million votes. <laughs> stop the count. Stop the, stop the yeah. test. Stop the count. Ber- um, Berkeley is going to hate this, but Berkeley is being very Trumpian right now. Well, okay. So the other thing that we've learned, though, is that Cal may actually be in the market to move because we have already seen New Mexico, whose state wouldn't let them play. They moved to Nevada and and now they're playing football. Cal may have to because remember, Stanford moved out of San Mateo County in the beginning of the season because they couldn't practice. And now Cal, who's doing virtual learning for school, may move to Nevada, too. Are you in on that? 
Yeah. I mean, it's, but then we all have to publicly agree how absurd that is. And the fact that this is something that has to happen in season speaks to the same issues that we had leading up to whether or not we were going to have a season, which is the Pac-12's inability to communicate with the state of California in any meaningful way. And it would be excusable if the Pac-12 offices weren't in northern effing California. What are they doing? Why are there surprises? The only surprise should be surprise somebody tested positive. Therefore, we now have to deal with the, the, the fallout from that. It shouldn't be, oh, I wasn't prepared for the effects that local policy was going to have on my program. There's absolutely no excuse for not being prepared in that manner, for not having open communication between the Pac-12 and the state of California. As it stands right now, the only reason that we had week one games, as you stated in week 11 or 12 of what should be the normal college football season, is because of the USC football players calling out Gavin Newsom and Gavin Newsom trying to save face saying this is has this has nothing to do with me. Yeah, Where how is much, the Pac-12 at on this? Well, well part I think you hit the nail on on the head is that they did not completely that they weren't um completely proactive in dealing with in dealing with the state they should have already been into um, in, in communication with the state saying, okay, if we do X, Y, and Z, can we play? How about if we do here? Like, how can we make this work that way? If we do have a positive test, we don't get shut down, that we have a, a plan in place and the schools and the teams would have had a plan in place. So, but Okay. What's Jimmy Lake's the, motivation, George? What's Jimmy Lake's motivation in in com- comparing and contrasting local law? Uh, I I did okay. So when you're talking about when he said that the game would have taken place if it were in Washington, I mean, I mean, but but. But that's the thing. The game could not have taken place if it were in Washington because the players were in the state of California, so they weren't allowed to leave. So that's I'm sorry. They're from the city of Berkeley, so they weren't allowed to leave. So that's the issue. They still would have had the issue even if they moved the game to Seattle. So maybe maybe I interpreted it as if the issue was with the University of Washington they would not have had the local encumbrances that Cal had. So like University of Washington still would have been able to field a football team and make the game happen. Even if it was played at Cal, like, that, that was my interpretation. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, yeah, it, but that would have been the, that would have been the thing though. I mean, he is right in that, in that, that it still would have been played if it were played in Washington, if it were Washington, if it were the, the Washington school, they would have still been able to play. He's right about that. But why, why bring it up? Is it, I I don't want to be super overly cynical here, but is that, 
a sh- taking a shot at an opponent just to take a shot at, at an opponent. I mean, it's obviously got to be out of some level of frustration because it costs his yeah. kids the opportunity. Yeah, see, I, 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 I'm going to err on the side of that was Jimmy Lake's motivation that he was just a little bit frustrated that he didn't get a chance to play. He was frustrated with the bureaucracy that caused the issue because not only was Jimmy Lake upset, but Justin Wilcox was upset as well because he's like, we only have one positive test. We've done more mitigation steps than everybody else than, than what you have even required us to do. So why are you now not allowing us to play? So I think that man, Justin yeah. Wilcox should be furious. I'm stuck here trying to figure out what the point of patting so yourself it, on the back for the Quidel tests were if it wasn't going to matter if you could have rapid response testing. So what? So like, yeah, the, but that's the, the state 12, thing, though. The statement from that's the, the state level, because because if if. If the okay, so if Jimmy Lake is saying that about Washington, then they got to get Cal the hell out of California, and they should have done it yesterday. The statement at the end of what the Pac-12 put out when this is before the Utah game was canceled, it, they put out that statement, and in it, and it was very much in Larry Scott's voice, it said that like the cancellation of this is proof that our testing is working, and I wanted to throw my computer against the wall because you can't pat yourself on the back for delaying the season and then pat yourself on the back for restarting the season and then pat yourself on the back for getting testing procedures in place and then pat yourself on the back for those testing procedures costing you a game. you got to stop at some point, all of the pats on the back are just going to leave your back sore. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I am an agreement with with that. So the idea that the frequency of the tests was supposed to that the daily antigen testing was supposed to ensure that you didn't have an outbreak, which is which he's right about that. There has not been an outbreak. Well, there's a little bit of an outbreak in Utah, but for the most part, it's just been isolated cases on teams and they've been able to to uh to, to make sure that that doesn't spread which is a big deal but but you are right if that's the point of it why can't you then play if you isolate it which i which which is confusing to me but alas we were not able to play two games last week and as so you had washington and cal not play like we talked about in arizona and utah not play and we heard Cal Whittingham's interesting comments about he said that for that this week at practice they have um third stringers taking first string reps and walk-ons in the depth chart which does not bode well for this week's matchup against UCLA actually eh, they, they <laughs> Maybe those third stringers and you and um, and walk ons would still provide a um, they they would probably still score thirty points against UCLA's defense. <laughs> as long as as long as you can get a third stringer to stand in the passing lane and he can catch, there's a chance DTR is going to throw him the ball. So maybe maybe you don't need a first stringer to be able to follow those types of instructions. Oh. <laughs> So, so I mean, that's 
That's deep, though. So if you were because I've been reading other boards, some of the message boards, and you've had like Alabama people questioning LSU, who they're supposed to play this week. They're saying, oh, their quarterback, Miles Brennan, is hurt. But we found out today that he's going to be out for the season. Their game got pushed back and this week and they're they're like LSU was still above the 53 they just didn't want to play because they didn't want to get blown out and you're having people accuse people of that which I knew was going to happen so if you're a team would you rather field a non-competitive team and get and get housed or would you rather cancel the game get housed Absolutely. I, I mean, I don't th- – this is going to become a thing between you and I, isn't it, where it's our, – our personalities are factoring in here. But because I, I talked to you and I said, why can't Cal just throw a couple of backup offensive linemen or spare linebackers out there on the defensive line and then just go try to outscore ASU with their offense because their defense is going to be an absolute mess. And – um and you you had talked about maybe that would throw them below the threshold and uh, other positions or 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 it could get some people hurt i don't know but i i would rather play than not right i mean i i would rather find yeah. some way to get on get on the field because it's about game tape for trying to get some of these kids to the to the next level it it becomes about getting what you can you're still going to get that the the end of season distribution check from the 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 television rights and we all know that 99% of the decisions that have been made by everybody involved have been about money um but if it's about safety which is laughable because if, if things really are about safety then we'd see a lot of things different about the way we've gone about anything especially this fall um, I don't know, man. I think I would put a team out there and get wrecked just to put a team out there. Just yeah. to say, this is who we are. We play. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that that is the optimal thing to do. I do. I think that because the whole reason anybody's playing is for the money. So get your money if you can still play without getting people hurt. Like it, it's different if you if like you can move backup offensive linemen to the defensive line and you still play, but you can't then move defensive linemen to the offensive line. That, that just doesn't work. So right, so let's 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 try on some different shoes. Let's same scenario. Let's try on some different shoes. I'm going to tell you who you are in the scenario, and you tell me whether or not it's advantageous for you in that scenario to take a team out there that's not full strength that is definitely going to be at a massive massive detriment let's okay. say that you're a coach like clay helton who is coaching for his job is it no. better for you to not play or for you to do what you can to not play okay uh let's say that you are a marginable but draft eligible quarterback and you are you actually do get to go. So like, like, let's say that you're, you're DTR. Okay. Right. Like this is his last year at UCLA, right? Or has he got to know? No, no, no. He's a junior now. Okay. Um, so it, it, if there's a senior quarter, I think everybody's super young this year. Uh, so Utah's quarterback, right? The one that was, uh, from, from Jake Bentley. 
So yep. let's say, let's say that you're Jake Bentley and you're going to roll into UCLA with uh, a skeleton squad, but at least you'd have the opportunity to show what you can do with that skeleton squad. We saw Josh Allen go in the first round, despite not really having a bunch of talent around him. Is it better or worse for you to play in that scenario? Uh, oof. If, if my offensive line is fine, then I'm going out there to go play if I'm a quarterback. I mean, it, if if I'm a marginal quarterback, then yeah, I need to get some film. But at the same time, you don't want to look bad either. Like, and, and not having a full-strength team is it, just bad. Like, I get why teams want to play. And it's actually better for, you know, a team like USC to – well, it's better for the conference – to where if if you know Arizona State's not at full strength, but they still put a team out there to get housed, that's still good for the conference because now you've given USC another game or Oregon another game where they can potentially make a college football playoff, which is good for the conference. That's more money, more prestige, everything. So I, I think that that that's a real thing that you can't minimize that. Scenario three, you are George Reister, early 2000s. Your team is absolutely decimated, but you're the star tight end. You know you're probably going to leave after your junior year. Do you roll out there with a squad that's going to get wrecked by 30, knowing that it's it probably not going to look that good for you? Where where am I projected to go in the draft right right now? I'm talking – I am talking – in the in the actual situation that you were in at the time, because you had people telling you you could go first or second round, and then you had it, you you had people accuse you of hanging out with the wrong crowd that made you drop a little bit. But in that situation of people telling you that you're going to be first or second round, you, you we've seen people from the actual University of Oregon this year who are going to be drafted high turn down the opportunity to play. And run yeah. out there with what they thought See, would be a skeleton crew. What would you do in that situation? Oh, I would have. I would have. Un, under the current circumstances with my situation, I would have played until uh, I would have played just to get some game film down. But if then we ended up in a situation like okay, like Florida State is in right right now. They're losing. They've played six games. COVID's flaring up. I'd be out then. I, I would put some good. I would put some good tape down, and then I. I would say, "Holla at a player when you see him in the streets." <laughs> I, I'll be back. You know what I mean? I will wave yeah. and sh- shake hands when we get back. But that's the best I got for you at that point in point in time. So the, I mean, the difference for you is the difference between going out there for week one and having already put six games on tape. Correct. Okay. For, for, for sure. Um, I have one okay. more for you. I have one okay. more for you because you're a father of uh, what, 2024, 2025 potential 2024. prospect. Yeah. Okay. So you're the father of a 2024 prospect. Let's say that this was to happen four years from now and he's running third string as a true freshman wherever he decides to go and the clear out puts him in a position with a skeleton crew that you know is going to take a massive, massive L in that situation, as his father, he comes to you and says, what do I do here, Dad? What do you say to him? Hmm. I would tell him to, 
I would I, I would feel comfortable with him playing under the daily antigen testing like is going on in the pack pack twelve. I mean, I don't want him starting. I mean, if he's the third string quarterback, I don't want him starting if I feel like that that he's not good enough yet because that can only ru- ruin your confidence, all of that. I want him starting when he's going to have a chance to start. You see what I'm saying? Right, like it, and, I'm, and in this scenario, he'd probably be running out there with last year's Jaden Daniels offensive line. I mean, Jaden Daniels survived. <laughs> He survived and thrived, buddy. I mean, if he's good enough to start and that's his he almost didn't survive that Utah game, but he survived. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey man. Bad. Hey, gave him gave him more character. Um, but Cal though, okay, so if Cal does have to cancel this week, doesn't that put their season in jeopardy though? Because because yeah. they would only be they would only have four more games plus plus the potential one on December nineteenth. Yeah, like the, that puts their season in jeopardy. I mean, you you could have players being like, ah, uh, yeah, nah, we'll 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 just wait till next next fall, right? I <laughs> uh, I don't think you're gonna like this. I watched the the, the games last week, and I'm gonna say something. Not one of these Pac-12 teams belongs in any conversation for any type of national anything. Okay, wow. So that's that's thing one. And that's just the truth. But you think Texas A&M and Florida do? I, I think Florida would work. Hold on. Let's just let, let me let me make both points, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you respond. One, after watching what I watched, no, none of these teams are ready for that. Even in even in this weird year, none of these teams are ready for that. That being said, the best thing to do for these kids in the Pac-12 would be to take the possibility for that off of the table because they shouldn't be there anyway and allow them to extend the end of the season. If you take the college football playoff off the table for the Pac-12, then you can extend the season and make sure that they actually get some games in. Okay, well, that, okay. Well, that actually moves the idea about the cold college football playoff being moved back just in general, right? Is there have been people saying, oh, they should, so the last weekend is the that Saturday the 19th, the committee is supposed to decide the 20th people are saying, well, why don't they move it back of, uh, you know, two, three weeks. And I said, they can't move it back any more than one week at the, at, at the absolute most, if they can move it back at all, because that would require moving the semifinal games and all of that. And that pre- presents a problem, but, but the cities will figure out how to work it out. All of, all of that. The issue is if you move it back any further, the elite talent off of those teams off of, I mean, cause I'm pretty sure that we all believe that Ohio state's going to be in it. Alabama's going to be in it. And Clemson's probably going to be in it, especially if they beat Notre Dame in the ACC championship, that they'll be in it, that, that you'll have those three teams in it. That's a bunch of first round NFL draft picks. And if you keep pushing it back, same thing will, will happen for potential first-rounders in the Pac-12, even though the majority of them have already opted out already. You would have – you're, you're going to be pushing up on the NFL combine. 
because then you're going to be mid late January finishing up. And the problem with that is, is that players need time after the season is over with to heal up and then train to get ready to go get that money at the combine. The NFL needs to accommodate the, the, the NFL needs to accommodate this. And I think that all of those elite the NFL's players, handing out the checks, bro. They don't have to accommodate. They need, Everybody else has to why. accommodate th- them. No, he who the has NFL the goal to, makes the rules. The NFL needs to do what the NBA did by not allowing high schoolers to come in. And the NFL needs to protect itself from itself. This is why, this, of course, the NFL is not going to do anything without incentive. But you're not getting enough of a sample size to protect these general managers and give them enough data with which to make the decision on how they're going to build their team. You need more of a sample size. You need more competition. You need more film. Therefore, you need to move the combine to give NCAA the flexibility to push things if they can. And I think that if you do that, some of these players will stick around because they will know that those extra two or three games on tape might mean the difference between two or $300,000 or even more than that in their bank account. And yeah, you're right. The NFL is never going to do anything unless it's in their best interest. But when the, when the NBA said high schoolers can't come to the NBA anymore, that was for them. That was because they kept screwing up. This will be the worst NFL draft ever when it comes to talent evaluation, unless they give the NCAA more room to let the kids play more games. I do believe that. I also believe that that's not going to happen. I mean, it, it's, yeah, I, right. I, yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's just not the, the NFL stays on its schedule. It, it may potentially move the combine back a couple of weeks, but the, it's not, it'll be because that's the best thing for the NFL. It won't be because that's the best thing for anybody else. It'll be because the NFL some kind of way can't make it work. That'll be the, or yeah, that will literally be the only reason why it gets moved. Um, So on to the games from last week. So I totally disagree with you about the Pac-12 teams not being able to make the college football playoff. Because I do think that there are, okay, so there are four fan bases who actually believe that they can make it. USC, which which we'll talk about, Oregon, Washington, and Cal. Those are the four fan bases that think that their team has a shot. We haven't seen two, Washington two and Cal. are based on the hope that is created by not having any data yet. I would say after watching USC play, well, okay, so Cal and Washington, we don't have any data yet. Watching USC play, I hate USC running the air raid offense. I've talked about it. It's a gimmick offense for teams that don't have the same talent that USC normally has. That's the first thing. Second thing is, is with Oregon. I thought that Oregon breaking in a new offensive line. They didn't play well in the first half. They were young in some spots on the defense, but then they got the defense figured out in the second half that their game looked more like me. I mean, looked to me more like what I saw from Florida in their first games, uh, Alabama in their first games, like what I, what I saw from 
other teams earlier in the season because because remember they've already played you know six games Clemson's played eight games they almost lost I mean like they, they were in some nail biters already so I think that we are being more critical or I would say you are being more critical of the Pac-12 because we're seeing those teams now play better football because they are, you know, six weeks into a season. I mean, look at look at Penn State. Look at Michigan. Look at, you know, like They're all terrible. these other they conferences. Don't, they don't belong in the conversation either. They're terrible. Yeah, but, oh, okay, just look at the standings. You – you have. Oh, I'm I'm with you on. It's possible. It's cert. It's more than possible. The opening has never been bigger for the Pac-12 yeah. to actually get uh, get a team in, and I don't I don't doubt that if Oregon or USC, especially one of those two teams, is able to play a complete season in which they don't lose, and I'm not convinced that'll happen, um, that they would get in. I'm just telling you that this year, more than any other one, once they are there. I do not believe that they will be competitive. Okay. So what what was your takeaway from the USC your your three biggest takeaways from the ASU USC game? Well, well let's just let's just we we both got to say it cuz I think we both feel that way. Bad luck. Right? Sometimes you just have bad luck. And I think that first of all, shout out to the 5050 followers that I've lost on Twitter since tweeting that uh, ASU would go undefeated, which I'm pretty sure I sent out in the early third quarter. But if people have listened to any podcast or read, read anything that I've written over the last five months, it wasn't a new thing. I didn't jinx ASU. I reinforced the thing I've been saying constantly and ended up being very wrong about. Um, but my, my number one takeaway is that sometimes you just have garbage luck. Uh, my number two takeaway, and I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna leave that one for you actually because you said it and you're the one that put it in my head, um, a, t- a team speed issue. Um, but I will say that uh, Arizona State's defense is exactly as good as I thought they would be in the back seven, and that the front four are actually a lot better than I thought they'd be. And ASU's defense is fantastic. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll put that out there as my number two takeaway. My number three takeaway, and I'm hoping that you and I had three phone conversations uh, throughout the week following last week's podcast in which I have tried to get you to give me credit for calling my shot on the on the Drake London thing and saying ASU has absolutely no answer for him. Uh, and, and he did have a really, really good game. I, I'm hoping that this will finally be the day that you give me some some credit on that. So the Dude, final- ASU's offensive line is still terrible. It's... It it's not as bad. It's not as bad as you were saying. They had some Correct. trouble. It, they had some trouble on the edge, and that could just be the fact that one of the two best defensive linemen in the entire Pac-12 happens to be uh, okay in scarlet and gold. We but will, the rest we, of the O line played okay. We will see if that's the case. Versus Arizona this week with USC. So my biggest takeaways from the game were I hate USC running the air raid. They still have trouble <laughs> running. 
the football, which was clear until that last drive. I didn't think that ASU had bad luck. I thought that, well, that, well, that was the first takeaway. Second takeaway was that USC's team, their team defensive speed is not good. They are, they are slow as a team on defense. And the third thing, and my third takeaway was on the Arizona state side. I thought Jaden Daniels was pretty good. Um, I thought their, their skill position players that they are, that they appear to be very talented, like Bunkley Shelton, the kid white, the, the one, one of the two running backs. I th- thought the running backs played really well. Um, obviously Johnny Wilson struggled, you know, he looked like a guy who should be red shirty in, in his first, in his first game. He looked like a guy who was overwhelmed, overmatched out there. Not to say he won't be a good player, but sometimes kids do need to redshirt. I mean, it's tough for a big 6'6 guy. I mean, or is he 6'7 or is he 6'9? How the announcers yeah, they he, he, like changing that around, weren't they? Yeah. I so, like his blocking. I I thought I thought he was an asset anytime that he was blocking. And I thought that it, I mean, you can't it, it's not a thought, it's not an opinion. He was an incredible liability anytime the ball came his way. Yeah, so so I think that that's that that's where ASU's trouble is is that they don't have the playmakers on the out outside in terms of experience yet. And yeah, and it didn't help that Frank Darby went down immediately. Not that he didn't drop a pass on the second play of the game <laughs> uh, on a slant, which that you know that doesn't help people think that he's going to become the complete receiver. Um, that, that everybody thinks those run, those running backs were great. ASU run blocked. Well, Jaden Daniels rushed for over a hundred yards. Their receivers when they weren't dropping passes were, were, were doing an okay job blocking. I agree with you on USC's defensive speed. Although I think Isaiah Polamau is going to be a superstar and I would not be surprised if he declares, uh, because, he, I mean, you're not going to look much better than he's looked over probably his last six or seven games. Um, and I, I have to say that obviously the onside kick thing was an issue. I was very weirded out by USC deciding to have a sustained drive in which they ran the ball um, while they were down by 13 late in the fourth quarter. I was like, this is when you change it up. But obviously it worked out in their favor. Keaton Slovis, still that dude when he needed to be, but I don't know if ASU loses that game. If it was not a 9am kickoff because they were losing a bunch what? of people. Camp. I don't, I don't. Oh, Ralph, why are you kidding me? No, are you USC had to play at the exact same time. And actually it was 10 o'clock for ASU. It was not ASU's the one who lost the hour. ASU's it was talking about it was ten. Yeah, exactly. It was ten o'clock in Arizona. They were playing in California, so you lost even another hour if you're ASU. I'm saying here's what I'm saying, George. If you play at nine in the morning and you're up for breakfast at four forty-five, it's not the same as being able to hydrate all the way throughout the day to get that seven p.m. eight thirty p.m. kickoff. It's not the same. 
Jack Jones was the best player on the field outside of punt returns. Hydration starts the day before. Hydration starts at least two days before the game. That means that Arizona State was unprepared. It was hotter in Arizona than it was in California. I I, I know that there's a level of that you go that um, when you're in games, yes, you're going to burn up more calories, burn up more energy, expend more, possibly you're cramping up more. But I am not giving Arizona State any quarters for losing that game. So you think if if Jack Jones was on the field instead of Kiwan Markham for that, last pass to to he wouldn't have been guarding him he wouldn't have been been guarding drake drake london i don't know dude i think that was just a fantastic catch and 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 truthfully arizona state lost the game when they weren't aggressive enough on their last two two series and you know and and fortune favors the bold in college football um. All right. Let's move on. So, to the next but game. do you you walk away from that game because this game went exactly the way that you said it would? It went exactly the way that you said it would. Would you say that you were, despite going exactly the way that you said it would go, you walked away encouraged by Arizona State and discouraged by USC? How is that even possible? No. 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 Well, I I walked away saying that the future looks bright for Arizona State, if they can get their offensive line together. That the future, as in not 2020, but 2021, and then you got to find a new quarterback after that. So that the future does look brighter. But for USC, I was like, I wasn't encouraged. It felt like same old USC. That The only reason why they won, literally, is because Arizona State ran out of talent. That's it. That's the only reason why they won. That's it. Their their star guys, their guy made a catch that got knocked out of his hand and then he caught it again on a perfect pass. Like, that's it. And they messed up on an onside kick. That's why they lost because because USC had quit until the ball ricocheted off of uh, um, somebody's helmet and then Brew McCoy caught it. They were toast. They had given up until that miracle happened. Then they got the onside kick. Bro, it was just... You know, it was just a case of Arizona State didn't close out the game. That was it. Um, All right. What was your take on the Washington State-Oregon State game? Because Rolovich, who's new to the conference, had 32 players out. And they still beat Oregon State. So last year feels like uh, an outlier for Oregon State, right? <sighs> I guess I I don't want to do this. I like Oregon State a lot. I like their coaching staff. Facts over feelings, Ralph. Bro, the Beavers are terrible. They're very bad. They're just like the defensive line, it is it is inexcusable how bad they are. I all I've been thinking about for the last two days is is five foot nine, one hundred and eighty pound Travell Harris the greatest wide receiver of all time, or is it possible that Oregon State is fielding a team of players that should not be playing at this level? Well, I mean, they they have Tr- Tristan Jebbia who had a good game, thirty four for forty eight, 
uh, with the touchdown. Uh, yeah, but if you watch, it says thirty four for forty eight. But if you watch that game, he was <laughs> he was a little too slow. His arm yeah. was not live enough, and, and you know that's after watching Jake Luton, obviously. But it wasn't. It just he he was a step slow man. He's going to struggle. He's going to struggle in this league. They got what a big they got a big tight end who I like. They got a nice possession receiver in Kendall Taylor. Musgrave. Yeah. Yeah, Musgrave. He's good. He dropped a ball that he shouldn't have late in the game. But I'll, I'll tell you the same thing that I, I told you um, before we started recording. Oregon State was down by less than USC was down to Arizona State at the exact same point in the game in the fourth quarter. And they even scored to make it a three-point game. And still at no point did I ever feel like Oregon State was in that game. Even being down three with like four minutes to go and – kick in an onside kick never it once in my felt mind like they were down a million it yeah it's still even with all the momentum going their way it felt like they were down a million because Jaden delora a six foot 195 pound freshman from hawaii carved them up he looked like remember what everybody told us tate martell was going to be yeah that's who he is. That's who Jaden Delora actually is. He is coming out of Bishop Gorman, Tate Martell. Same size, same skill, same ability to – I mean, he's not afraid to just air the ball. out. He doesn't have the greatest arm that I've ever seen. He's also not the fastest or most agile quarterback I've ever seen, but he didn't care. He went balls to the wall that whole game, and he won that game for the University of Washington. Obviously, the coaching was also a little bit better on the Washington State side. Um, they ran the ball incredibly well. So I, I know you, I know you got to like that, that, that addition to what, I mean, if they had that, when Mike Leach was there, they might've represented the PAC 12 in, in a, in a college football playoff. And that this was without Max Borgie and I guess 30 something other players, they looked really good or Oregon state is really bad and they looked fine. I can't, that I cannot tell the difference after watching that game. Yeah, and, I mean, and once we found out that that Washington State had thirty-two players out, I thought that that was I thought that that was very telling about Oregon State. Because, granted, it wasn't necessarily any of Washington State's biggest names, but but still, dude, they still ran for seven seven point six yards a carry. It, like when when. When you look at their like the total defense numbers just through one game, Oregon State obviously they gave up thirty eight points. They are like it's just not like they're just not as efficient as you need them to be, and that'll just continue to to iron itself out. But you know, teams is make their Deon, biggest. Is Dion McIntosh for real, or were there just enormous holes for him to run through? Because he broke a few tackles. Yeah. Well, We'll see this week versus Oregon. We'll yeah. see this week. I mean, I think, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think or, get some versus Oregon. That that was the least impressive part of Oregon's game was a run defense. Well, they 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 played a lot of players. On, well, actually, let's let's move on to that game then. The uh, Stanford Oregon game, which obviously surprises happened right before kickoff because we find out that. Davis Mills is out for COVID. His roommate, the wide receiver, their best wide receiver is gone. And Oregon won the game 35 to 14, which is another game that I won, Ralph. Um, yep. <laughs> so, 
Um, oh, well, will uh, you get the totals for this for this week? Yeah, I'll grab them so we can we can tweet them out. I'm I'm I think you probably did better than me just based off of uh I don't I don't did you go with Colorado? I can't remember. I know that I know that I got that wrong, and I know that I got ASU winning wrong. So uh, you you have to have beat me this week. Yeah. Um. All right. So we have. So uh. So it was thirty five fourteen. Oregon won. I thought that so your your boy got his first start, Tyler Shook. Uh he had a touchdown and an interception. I and he should have thrown another interception, which was which was just dropped. He had a pretty good game. I I he looked like a guy in his first college start. So like I have to give him give him that. Um I thought that the Offense played pretty well, like running the ball, especially they ran the ball 40 times for 268 yards, you know, uh, you know, like 85 of that was Shug himself. So he's showing himself very mobile. This is a team that's a work in progress and it's going to be interesting to see because do I think the, that Oregon is a college football playoff contender after the way that they played Stanford? I don't know because I don't know how good Stanford Stanford's offensive line is this year yet, and yeah. So for them to be in that, they're going to have to have a massive improvement in terms of from week one to week two, which we've seen in other conferences and other teams. Yes. Um, all right. Moment of truth. Who was the best player on the field? Either team. <sighs> I would go, I would say, I would have went with probably Kayvon Thibodeau. Because even though, even though he didn't have any sacks, like he was very dominant in the, in the run game. Like he was, he was physical. He was disruptive. I thought he, I thought he had a really, really good game. And but pro- actually, nah. I-, I would probably say the person that had the biggest impact on the game, though, was probably either C.J. Verdell or yeah, I- I'd probably say C.J. Ver- Verdell was the best player on the field. How about you? I I thought the best player on the field. Who I thought at at certain points in the game with his speed speed and size was uncoverable was Simi Fihoko. I thought that I, I thought the team that Stanford dragged out there. Uh, he to, had three catches, Ralph. He had three catches. Did you see those three catches? Yeah, did you I see saw. Who was, did you see who was playing quarterback? Without those, yeah. without without those three catches, Jet Toner might have only missed one field goal instead of four. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and we and we forgot to mention that Stanford's really bad at kicking field goals. Uh, oh my Jet lord, Toner. I felt so bad for him. He just had the. I hit. didn't. He I, came I, in. I, I, he missed four field goals, and I I didn't feel bad for him. I felt bad for. I actually I didn't feel bad I, for him because it was it was David Shaw's fault. They're down. That's why I felt bad for him. They, they were kicking in situations that they never, ever should have in a million years. They're down 28 to three in the third quarter, 28 to three in the third quarter. And they're kicking field goals. 
and, and, and like toward the end of the third quarter. I'm like, what are you doing? Go for it. Nope. David uh, Shaw running, running punt football, kick a field goal. That's what you get. I'm sorry, Jet Jet Toner. I feel bad for you, but not for like. <laughs> I here here's the deal. He he's like a hundred three for a hundred three lifetime on uh, extra points. He was highly regarded coming out of high school, and he got a little bit extra pub just for having a ridiculous name. He had only missed ten field goals in his career, and you know how Stanford likes to kick field goals. You saw it, and he comes in. He misses four in this game, and it was just. Like David Shaw, like the disgust in his eyes, but he should have been disgusted at it himself. The play calling on Oregon's side of the field, which you should be concerned, George, with how many times Stanford even got there in the first place, because they they were they the what if what if David Shaw what if David Shaw had taken the idea of even kicking field goals off the table? I still think he'd have screwed it up because I saw what he did inside the five trying to throw fades. That was weird. Um, <laughs> It was just it was just not a well coached game. Uh, it, it is it is painfully obvious the lack of athleticism on Stanford's side of the field. But they were pretty disciplined on defense um at certain points. Uh Fahoko is a fantastic wide receiver. The quarterback play was not gonna be good. You knew this. Um if Davis Mills is in that game and they're not out trying to chip shot field goals down 28-3, it might have been a little bit different of, of a contest. And that's why I think if you're an Oregon fan, I think you walk away with a lot of things to be encouraged about on the offensive side of the ball. And I think you got to be kind of discouraged with how things went defensively. There's going to need to be some serious improvement throughout the season made. And I know a lot of these guys are young. And I know a lot of them are, are playing for the first time because you had so many departures. But I just I saw Stanford moving the ball all game long and then shooting themselves in the foot. I didn't see a ton of, I didn't see a ton of things that Oregon did to stop Stanford. I saw Stanford being the best defender on Oregon's team at several points in the game. And I want to point this out as far as, as far as Tyler Shuck, he made a couple of just absolutely terrible decisions with the football, just bad. And you're right. He did look very, very young, but he did things, and I, I've been covering his games since he was a junior in high school. I've seen him play live a dozen times. He did a couple of things in that game I've never seen him do before, which was create an opportunity for himself with his legs. He's never been slow. He's not a slow football player, but escapability was not something that I've ever seen him display. And he turned, at one point, he turned what should have been a five-yard loss into what a twenty-something yard gain? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And did then a really good job. Calling a designed run for him to score a touchdown—that was bizarre to me. And he actually made a move on that play to get that done. The throw uh, where Johnny Johnson did not get a foot down, but they initially called it a touchdown. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that was that a good play. throw. That was that was a lot more of what I'm used to, the deep ball. But I don't think that Oregon necessarily has the talent at wideout to to be making a ton of explosive plays. I think they have to be more methodical. And the thing that I, I left most encouraged about with Oregon in this game was that they had the drive right before halftime, the drive well, what was the score at half? Was it fourteen to seven? Uh it was yeah, 14 to seven. 
Okay, so the drive right before halftime, which was like a 96-yard drive, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly, then they got the kickoff to start the second half, and then they and did it. And went down and scored. Yep. Just broke Stanford's back. I loved that. That was the most NFL-looking offense I've seen in all of college football this year. It was not pretty. It was not explosive. There weren't a bunch of plays that would make you get up out of your seat. But if you can sustain a drive and you can keep the other team's offense off the field, especially when that other team's offense is getting yards on you, then you're going to give yourself the best possible chance to win. Loved Oregon's offense, did not care for their defense. Okay. but Well, a player that stood out on their defense dramatically was – Noah Sewell, that kid, because everybody was expecting Justin Flo, but Noah Noah Sewell has taken uh, Drew Mathis' spot, it, it appears. That, that kid is going to be fantastic. I mean, he, he made a couple, you know, errors that you expect a f- true freshman to make, but they were aggressive. That I am... Uh, I am bullish on that young man. That young man is going to be absolutely special. Um, and so that covers the games from last week. And well, we got, the we, rate- if you want to, if you want to talk about uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, we did, we did leave out Colorado. Oh, oh. <laughs> all right. All right. Colorado. Oh, yeah. I forgot about them. Colorado versus Washington state. Jeez the weeds. Uh, UCLA's defense is the worst thing I have ever seen. It, it, it is. It didn't get any better from last year. Colorado, we didn't even know who their starting quarterback was going to be. We didn't even know. I mean, every single time they got the ball, so well, it was. Not sure who it is? <laughs> it was thirty-five to fourteen at halftime. It was thirty-five to seven at one point in point in time. Colorado rushed for two hundred. 64 yards they threw for another 261 I mean it was just I mean and when you look at UCLA's offensive numbers uh Dorian Thompson Robinson threw for 300 yards four touchdowns they ran for seven yards a carry uh they lost three they lost three fumbles which is obviously a problem but aside from that like their numbers offensively they were able to move the ball and score they scored 42 points only problem is their defense gave up 48. And if this was a great offense, they'd have given up 70. So there's that. The, the donating two touchdowns to the cause right out of the gate, that was not that was not helpful. Without without those two scores off of two UCLA turnovers, maybe it's a completely different game. But it felt so over to me at 14 nothing. And then when it was 35 to seven, I mean, yeah, UCLA has come back from that kind of deficit before they did it last year against Washington state when the other team kind of lets off because you've let them absolutely run you over. Yeah. You're going to be able to, to, to score some points, but you can't rope a dope in college football. You can't, you can't let someone like, imagine you just talked about, ASU not being aggressive enough. If if ASU played with the aggression that Colorado played in this uh, first half against UCLA, they they would have been up four touchdowns on USC. You can't you can't rope a dope the way the that UCLA does. You can't let people get that many uh, points that far on out, you. out in front yeah. of you. Yeah, 
And then, and then when they finally decided to start taking care of the football, you see the playmaking ability of Dorian Thompson Robinson with a 65 yard touchdown run with a 26 yard touchdown pass to uh, Keegan Jones. And then the defense finally holds Colorado to a couple of field goals. And then right uh, as you know, time is kind of expiring. Um, you see big Mike Martinez get in on the action with a, with a, with a touchdown uh, catch from Dorian Thompson Robinson, but it was, I mean, kudos, I guess, to UCLA, but they might as well have lost 35 to 7. It doesn't matter at that point. You can't give up 48 points to Colorado. My goodness. If 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 I was to make a list of the 10 most unbelievable things that were going to happen in week one, like if I could see the future, and I read off those 10 things to you, and they included like, um, you know, uh, uh, pass from Keaton Slovis to, to Drake London. I think that, you know, that, that would give USC one point win. That feels believable. Um, Colorado scoring 48 points with Sam Neuer at quarterback would probably be the least believable of all of the, (laughs) you'd have been like, Oh, how many times did they score on defense? They did it. Yeah. Yep. No, that's that's pretty bad, and that's pretty brutal. 48 points without scoring on defense, and Sam Neuer throws one touchdown pass. Yeah, 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 that's what happens when you when, when you let Jarek Broussard rush for 187 yards and three three touchdowns. Let's see if he could do that again. Um, now, on to the game. Oh, well, actually, let's go on real super quick to the ratings. So, the uh, the Pac-12 this week they had one game that kind of fell into the ratings from the um, which was the Oregon Stanford game 1.66 million viewers compared to the game that was on at the same time which was Clemson Notre Dame which did 10 million viewers so there's a difference is that number one Stanford has no fans that's number one. Number two, you were up against Notre Dame Clemson, which was actually a competitive game. And the Oregon Stanford game, Stanford doesn't have any fans. So that's the first thing. And when you compare it to the previous weeks where you had um, Ohio State Penn State was the biggest game from the previous week, which had six point five three million versus Notre Dame having 10 million viewers like that's huge. And week eight. Biggest game, Ohio State again, which I've been trying to tell everybody, Ohio State is the draw in college football. 6.18 million, highest one that week. And before that, so the whole point is that you hadn't even gotten anywhere near 10 million viewers except for the Alabama-Georgia game uh, the entire year. So Oregon being, Stanford being at 1.66 million on ABC, I think that that was due to two things. Number one, you had... Um, the election coverage, uh, you have Biden and Harris's speech, which broke into the game. And then people who were in, who are a part of the 70 million people who didn't want to hear anything or 71 million people who didn't want to hear anything about it. They continue to tune out. I don't think that they came back to the football game. When you said that, you told me that the first time I couldn't stop laughing. It's like, yeah, I mean, I get that. I get that. Shutting the TV off for the night. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. So um, on to this week, though. There's a bunch of games canceled. There is already nine games canceled, including 
Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Maryland, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri, and Auburn, Mississippi State. That's just the ranked teams. That means that the Pac-12 has center stage, which they've already had a game move to 1230. They had the um, Colorado-Stanford game being moved to ESPN on at 1230 uh, instead of ESPN2 or U, one of them. So that's a big deal. So they're going to get some national uh, coverage instead of being on ESPN2, being on ESPN. And now, yeah, yeah. So that's the first game up this week, Ralph. Colorado, Stanford. Um, do you have our picks from last week? I do not. I do not have our picks from last week pulled up, but I'll, I'll have them so that we can uh, that that uh, that that we can tweet them out. I do want to say this: um, ASU having to play at nine in the morning, followed by having to play at nine at night the next week, is the number one reason that I stay mad at this stupid. And I've, I've already ranted about this a million times, so I'm not going to do it again. But I do want to bring up the fact that Dan Patrick said he thinks the Pac-12 should try to play on Wednesdays. Uh, that's the most disrespectful-ish I've ever heard in my entire life about the Pac-12. You I've tell me why you think that it's disrespectful, and I'll tell you why I don't even care anymore to the point where I think he might be right. Do you want to end this podcast right now? Because apparently you want to fight. Dude, are you kidding me? Ralph, that's the most disrespectful thing I've ever heard. Play on Wednesday. Maction is on Tuesday. I already hate playing on Thursdays or Fridays. Playing on third on Wednesday, you can't schedule non-conference appointment. Man, you won't get any viewers. Talking about we own the night. Nobody cares about that night for football. Like it, it took the NFL like damn near 10 years to make people care about Thursday night football. It's not it's it's a horrible idea, Ralph. I can't even believe that 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 you have let Michael Scott, Michael Larry Scott, beat you into submission so badly that you're you're just giving up hope and you're like, oh well, I guess Wednesday's okay. Think about it this way, man. <sighs> Television to the Pac twelve is it's almost like Scientology. <laughs> the Pac twelve has sacrificed literally every ounce of potential relevance that it could have to the God of television, a God that does not love them back, a God that has given them absolutely nothing. And they've given them everything. And, no, they, Ralph, and what Larry are you talking Scott, about? It's false. Said, no, 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 no. No, it's You'll, because they've been we'll pr- praying to a false okay, God. We'll right. Exactly. Television. Your no, no, the, the, the false God, the false God is the Pac-12 network. That's why instead, dude, because they wanted to start their own network, they messed up the negotiating rights. It was the false God that threw them off. They would have given, they would have given, they're trying to give, they gave Fox 9 a.m. They're trying to do anything they can to stay relevant to people who don't even care. You talk about 2.3 million people watching ASU USC. I don't care about those 2.3 million people unless they're in the market, unless it affects their long-term fandom, unless it turns them into people who want to see Pac-12 football on a regular basis. That can happen if that's what – 
that can happen if that's what people see. What are you talking about? I am talking about the fact that the priority should and always be the fan bases in the markets in which you play. And you should try to establish as much routine as you possibly can, just like the NFL does. You shouldn't have a team kicking off at 9 a.m. on one week, then 9 p.m. on Saturday the next week. Then they're on a Thursday. Then they're on a Friday. Also, that you can get your games on a television that was probably going to be on a network that nobody has because the person in charge of your conference is terrible at his job. So if you want to turn around and throw the games on Wednesday, it's not going to hurt you because you are already as hurt as you can possibly be. When I said it's like Scientology, it's like you get to 55 years old and you've given them 95% of your income for the rest, you know, for, for your entire life. You got absolutely nothing out of it. You got $5 left in your pocket, five whole dollars. Is it going to hurt you to give them that $5? Probably not. You already have nothing. They already took everything from you. You might as well play on a Wednesday night. You might as well compete against Modern Family. Modern Modern Family ended. Well, so will the Pac-12 if they keep playing. <laughs> Damn. I don't have anything else to say. I'm done. All right. Colorado Stanford. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm over here laughing like Kenneth Hagin or Kenneth Copeland, whoever it is. Ah. <laughs> um, um, so, oh, my gosh. So, we got <laughs> Colorado at Stanford. Stanford is favored by six and a half points. We don't know if Davis Mills will be back. Um. So how do they even have that line publicly available then? That means that they think so little of Colorado and, <laughs> and and so little of UCLA that this line is at 66 and a half points. And guess what the over under is after Stanford scored 54. I'm sorry, after I just gave it to you. Um after Stanford scored 14 points last week, the over under in this game is 54 and a half. That's an easy over. Easy over. Uh, dude, that just that feels gross. If that that feels like a pretty high scoring game for these two people. Um, obviously, Colorado's defense I don't think is any good. They gave up forty two points and didn't get the, the the luxury of being helped by UCLA's offense. I got. I got Stanford in this game. I, I got Stanford and I got Stanford covering this six and a half points. I'll roll with you since doing things my way is not working out for me. Um, I'll, I got Stanford by 10. We'll call it, uh, we'll call it 34, 24, which will give you the, give you the over if I'm doing my math correctly. All right. <laughs> it also assumes that Stanford makes a field goal and or misses an extra point. And after the things went, maybe missing an extra point would be the more sensical. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, Jet Toner has never missed an extra point in his life. I do want to point that out. Oh, and if he does, you will be the jinx. But, (laughs) okay, so David Shaw, I mean, he's a Stanford guy. I see, here's the problem that, here's the thing that makes no sense to me. Stanford guy not using analytics. Analytics tell you to go for it more on fourth down. 
because if you get Stanford in fourth and two, no matter where they are in the field, they're punting or kicking a field goal, period. If there's time on the clock, they, they are, they're doing it. Unless they are in, you know, unless they're down five points under a minute, they're, they're going to kick a field goal. And if they have three timeouts, they may not. Um, so, yeah. Uh, next game up. The, U, the Trojans of USC versus, well, at Arizona, USC's favorite by 14 points. Over under is 67 and a half points. Because remember, Graham Harrell did say that they could have scored 50 or 60 points had they com- converted an- another couple of uh, first downs, which is what every air raid uh, person says. So are you in on USC? Well, what? Well, where do you stand? USC favored by 14 and a half points, being that we didn't see Arizona play last week. Um. I think, I think seventeen is a good, is a good number. Um, I think you'll see a couple of impressive drives from Arizona, given that they do have a couple of really talented running backs. Jamari Joyner would not have been able to play this year if they had started the season on time. He is, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to disrespect Amon Ross St. Brown, but as far as just pure athletes go. Uh, Jamari Joyner's up there in in the conference as one of the absolute best athletes. Can he play the receiver position at a high level? We'll see. But I do think he'll probably make a couple of big plays. So there'll be some reasons to get excited if you are a University of Arizona fan. I do not uh, completely dismiss out of hand the idea that USC could have had a couple of more touchdowns uh, because, in fact, they played uh, like garbage inside the inside the red zone. So I see where he's coming from. But that's from, though, always but, going to happen. Yeah, they're right. in the red zone. They're you're running the air raid. That's always going to happen. Right? Perhaps they learned their lesson in the fourth quarter with how they were able to set the tone running the ball, and they make some changes. That 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 would be huge because if they do that, University of Arizona is not going to be able to stop a single thing that, that that USC does. USC will maybe stop themselves, and I know how much you hate their offense, and I think you, they could certainly give you more reasons to hate them. Um, well, well in, if in this week's game against Arizona, but th- this Arizona team, this defense is—I hate to say it on Oregon state's level. And so, you know, if USC doesn't score 40 against Arizona, then you should have massive alarm bells ringing. Okay. This has to do with Arizona's defensive coordinator. This game will be on him because if they can't like, it's like the, the blueprint on how to stop the air raid is there. I mean, and it, Paul it, Rhodes did a good job with the defensive backs at UCLA when they went up against USC. I will say that. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the blueprint is there. So play, play talent. zone, come up and tackle. They should not give up a million points like they shouldn't, but I don't trust Arizona. So I am taking, uh, and it's in Arizona too. Oh man. I want to take Arizona. You got to do it. You have to. I'm telling okay. you. I'm taking USC and Arizona to fade the points, uh, to, to to beat the number, to, to beat the right. 14 points. I do not think that'll be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm calling 41-24 right now. Uh, so the, oh, that does kind of feel good. That does feel good. 
but I'm I'm gonna be a con contrarian because uh, yes, so there. Um, all right, next game up. Cal at Arizona State. Arizona State, they get a home game. No line. <laughs> Literally no line. No, 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 no. Arizona State's favorite by four points. No, it's a it's a joke about how the defensive line won't show up. It's a little little double entendre for you, George. Oh, I thought you were saying no line because Cal may not be able to play. That's what I I meant. No line because Cal won't have a defensive line. Oh, okay, okay. See, see, I, I had to I, explain I the joke, right and it's not funny anymore. Now I just feel. Stupid. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, Arizona State's favorite by four points. Jaden Daniels was eleven for twenty three for a buck thirty four. Good God, it was worse than I thought. Okay, oh, he was the Jane leading. Jaden Daniels was like eleven for eleven, and Johnny Wilson was zero for twelve. Let's <laughs> no Bunkley, <laughs> Bunkley, oh, Shelton, Darby and Darby yeah. and Darby yeah. helped too. How about those freshmen? Yeah, well, Darby and, and Jaden Daniels was the leading. Uh, rusher, he ran for 111 yards, and Rashad White was the leading, the running back was the leading receiver. Hey, okay, he's he he's good. He should be at UCLA right now. Him leaving, like that, would have given UCLA a heck of a weapon. But he broke his commitment, went ASU. Now he's the leading receiver <laughs> at Arizona State and out of the backfield. So who do you? I got Cal in this game. I'm telling you up front. I like I. Don't think Arizona State should even be favored. Um, but then this is depending on who Cal puts out on the football field, too. I don't know what their defensive line is going to look like. But either way, I don't trust Arizona State's offensive line. So I got Cal in this game. Cal straight up. Uh, I'm, but but if they lose by a field goal, I still win. <laughs> so I'm, I'm picking them to win, and I'm picking them with with the points. So I can go fifty fifty. To quote the esteemed city of Berkeley, California, nope, <laughs> no ASU's got this, and also that game's not going to get played. So why are you being a negative Nancy? I'm not being a negative Nancy. That we're not on track. Merton Hanks is a Merton, Merton Hanks just said we're on track, Ralph. Okay, well, uh, even if we are on the tracks, who's the one that drives the train? Herm Edwards, Arizona State. Uh, P.S., P.S., assuming we have three or four Cal fans that listen to this, they absolutely know how much I love them. They are one of the most fantastic fan bases in all of college football. I love Cal, but I do not believe that they're going to be able to field a team to play in this game. I don't. I do not currently, with the information available, believe that it is possible. Uh, and that even if it is, the distractions of the last week and not even being able to practice with your defensive line is going to hurt you. Listen, I am in on Chase Garbers, Christopher Brown Jr. Uh, I'm interested to see how much uh, Nico Remigio has improved. I want to see Cal's defense, who everybody said has re regressed but is consistently one of the best defenses in the conference. Um, th the interesting thing on this line is, so the line on the Arizona, the, the Arizona USC game is 67 and a half, which is by far the biggest one of this, this week. That's absurd. <laughs> right. No way. 
It's 67 and a half, bro. That lets you know what they think of uh, USC's defense as well. Man, um, I don't know if Arizona State's going to score 67 and a half for the rest of the year. Yeah, so the the line on the Utah-UCLA game is the second biggest at 59 and a half. And then it's Oregon-Washington State at 57 and a half. Then it's uh, Colorado-Stanford. <laughs> huh? They're just guessing. Yeah. This is silly. Colorado Stanford 54 and a half, Washington Oregon State at 52 and a half, and then the lowest line of the whole week is this game. 47 points, bro. 47 points. They are anticipating in this game. Are you taking the over or under for that? Oh. Because this is Cal Arizona State. This game could end up 1917. You're asking me if I'm taking the over under for 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 Cal Arizona State. Yeah. Oh, under. Like, yeah. Again, I don't know. I don't know if Arizona State will score 67 for the rest of the year. They're they don't they're not out there to score a bunch of points. They could have. You said it yourself. They could have put their foot on the throat of USC, and they just didn't do it. They they well, are their that's own why they worst didn't win. Enemy. There, when it comes to the, to to Herm Edwards, he has been an absolutely fantastic surprise for most people as far as what they've been able to do. And he admitted before this season, like if you we want to win at the college level, you know we're going to have to get Zach Hill in here. We're going to have to average forty points a game. But I don't know if you can get away from that instinct that you just act like a a boa constrictor once you get up, like you just try to squeeze the life out of the other team. That doesn't work. Foot on the gas. Ask- Ask the ask the San Diego chart or oh, the LA Chargers if that works. It doesn't, right? Um, I, but I just do you see do you see that change happening in Arizona State under Herm Edwards? Do you see them going out? Yes, and soon, fifty on a team that they're already up by twenty at halftime. I believe that they want to. I don't believe that they have the the necessary athletes to uh, do it granted i think their athletes are fantastic they're just young they're not ready yet so that's why i say they don't have them yet because they're not they're not ready um so who do you have in this game arizona state favored by four points arizona state takes it for sure for sure okay you were you were real sure about last week too buddy well, what was I? I was most sure about the same thing that you were most sure about, which was that ten and a half was the worst possible line in the history of college football. I hope that everybody made ridiculous amounts of money betting on ASU. Well, actually, uh, last last week I thought the worst line was the uh, Liberty Virginia Tech game. Yeah, you're right. You were right about that too. Yeah, I was like sixteen points. I was like, this is free money, buddy. Free money. Um, uh, Oregon State. At Washington, Washington's favored by 13 and a half points. We we have not seen Washington play. We do not know who their starting quarterback is going to be yet on their two deep now. On their two deep, everybody is in bold. Like you yeah. like ordinarily they put somebody in as a starter and then they'll still put or underneath. And that person, like, like for instance, at tailback, they have Kamari Pleasant, but then it says, or Sean McGrew. Um, wait, no, no, he, he he's the starter, and then Sean, Sean McGrew is the next guy, or Richard Newton. But on the uh, the quarterback, Ethan Garbers is listed first. 
but they're actually listed in alphabetical order. So we don't know if this is alphabetical order or if this is actual the order. So Ethan Garbers, Dylan Morris, Jacob Sermon, or Kevin Thompson. Who is your bet to start the game? My bet to start the game is Sermon, who I would start as Garbers. That's who I would I would start Garbers. I'd roll out there with a freshman. Why not? Hey. Um but I, I do want to say this. I'm I'm gonna have to admit that I'm wrong to one of our followers, even though I'm not wrong, and that's very frustrating. Because one of our followers, a uh, 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 loyal Washington Husky fan, told me that I was wrong about the the running backs at University of Washington. I respectfully disagree. I think that that is probably the weakest point of the Huskies headed into this season. But their first game got canceled, and so the first time they take the field is going to be against Oregon State. And I am never going to look more wrong about anything than I am those running backs when they get to go against the Oregon state defensive line. It's not fair. Cause then I'm going to, ha- I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to have to say that I was wrong. And then over time I'll look a little bit more right, but they are going to eat George. <laughs> and I said, I said that they wouldn't make Oregon's four deep. Kamari pleasant and Sean McGrew wouldn't even make the four deep at Oregon. And now they're both going to go out and get 300 yards each in the first game of the season. <laughs> you said 300 yards each. In the first Re- half. Remember last year, Oregon state's defense put, put Washington in a, in a headlock. Yeah. That was a bit. No more are the days of Jacob Eason dropping back 76 yards to throw a 75 yard pass. <laughs> To dropping back 76 yards to throw a one yard pass. That's funny. Um, uh, yeah, so <laughs> that was a good diss. That was, that was a thoughtful one. Um, well, that's because I'm a Cardinals fan and I watched Kevin Cobb do it until he concussed himself out of the league. And that's exactly who Jacob Eason was, was Kevin Cobb. So 13 and a half points is the line. Who do you have? Uh, Washington. I. Mm. That's that's how much is that the line for the game or how many yards per carry they'll have? <laughs> that's the line, man. All right, dude, I am totally against you here. I I like Washington to win, and I got Oregon State to cover this line, dude. They're, what do you they're not know gonna... that I don't know? Huh? What do you know here that I don't know? Because you sound confident. Okay, here here here's what I know. Oregon State's defense is terrible, right? Yes. Their offense their offense can move the ball and score. Washington is playing their first football game. They're going to be somewhat sloppy because it's their first football game. I do believe Washington is a significantly better team. And on defense, their defense, I mean guys like uh Ryan Ryan Bowman, Elijah Molden, uh Latu, like they uh Asa Turner, they got some guys, right? But this is their first game. It's going to be tough because it's your first game. Oregon State's going to be able to score, and I'm not sold on how good Washington's offense is going to be because it hasn't been good the last few years. So 
I am just banking on that. I'm just going off the information that I have so, so far. And that's why I'm taking Washington to win and Oregon to state. Okay. I don't bet any money, real money on that, please. All right. <laughs> I, I All just, right. I, Oregon moved the ball against the five scholarship players that Washington state had left. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to move the ball. I, I, I just, I, I, I like Jonathan Smith, just not enough to say all the things that you, you just said. I, I genuinely worry that this could be like a, a 50 to seven game. Yeah. Oh, get out of here, bro. You are nuts. You are absolutely a crazy man for saying that. Um, all right. Next game up. We got the Oregon Ducks traveling up to the Palouse to um to potentially snowy, rainy, sleety Martin Stadium in Pullman, Washington. Oregon's favorite by 10 points. Who you got? Uh, I like Oregon, um, and the and the points. I'm not a huge fan uh, defensively um, of what Oregon did last week, and we did watch Washington State have a bunch of success running the ball, but I'm convinced that that was a a, a skill issue. Um, Oregon State fans, all six of them are going to fight you. They hopefully they put up more fight than their defense did. <laughs> I want to like this team so bad. I think that Jonathan, if Jonathan Smith was an OC, I think he'd be the best OC in the whole. I, didn't we have this discussion? Would you take Jonathan Smith over uh, uh, over Joe Moorhead? Didn't we have that discussion? I said that I would take Smith. You said you'd you'd stick it out. Yeah, I yeah I think Jonathan Smith is is great. I'm I'm just again there's four players on this team that I think could play on any team in the Pac-12, and I think everybody else would get replaced by a starter from 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 somewhere else. It's just that this is not the year. They, maybe maybe they're another year out. Um, uh, we'll see. They they definitely need to do some some better recruiting. I just I, I'm not I'm not impressed. Uh, therefore it makes me feel like what Washington state did was a little bit fool's gold. Also, that game was way closer than it needed to be, even though it never really felt that close. Jaden Delora got away with a lot that I don't think he'll be able to get away with against Oregon. The speed is going to be just a massive, massive issue. If he tries to get out on the run, the way that he did, um, against Oregon being six foot one ninety, like pray for him. Because if Justin Flo is out there, he's not. There is no off switch in that guy's brain. He will. There will be another quarterback coming in for Jaden Delora if Justin Flo can catch him. So, um, well, he he actually has to get on the field a little bit more first because he didn't play a whole yeah. lot in in week in week one. They think he'll get a little bit more playing time in week two, but it's it's Noah Sewell who will be out there starting yeah. snap. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's fantastic. Um I don't know. I don't know. I I I, I want to say that 
I could see with bad weather and a good running game, a chance for um, Nick Rolovich to, to surprise some people. But I, I don't, I, I think this is a two, two touchdown win for Oregon. Um, I'm going to go 31, 17 ducks. I would say that this is the game where the rubber meets the road for Oregon. And you're going to know what they're made out of. Even though the weather's bad, if this is a three-point win, seven-point win, Ducks have no chance to make the playoffs. Sorry, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. That's just the truth. If they come out and they can blow the doors off of them, I mean, even though the weather's bad, like finish up with a 17-point victory, that'll be right in line with a market improvement, especially defensively from from last week. And if, If they can win this game, you know, 35 or 38 actually if they they can win this game 38 to 38 to 20 that would be a good good win but 38 to 17 would would be the right the right number for where they really want and need to be um i'm taking them to cover this these 10 points the last game up, Ralph, we have Utah. Utah at UCLA. Utah's favorite by three and a half points. We have not seen Utah play. So we don't know what to make of them. We do know what their what their depth chart says. And at quarterback, they are either Drew Lisk, Jake Bentley, or Cameron Rising. So we will see one of them. And, you know, obviously Jake Bentley has played the most games. So we will see. They got the kid Brumfield in the running back and Will Moore. Um, I like the kid uh, Brian Brian Thompson at wide receiver and Britton Covey as well. He's solid. So and of course, your uh, favorite Cole Fotheringham. Uh, don't gamble on this game. If you're listening to this podcast, there's, I mean, I mean, if you really just need some action to be able to like be invested in UCLA, Utah, then go ahead. But I'm telling you this, there's, we don't know. We have no idea who's sick and who isn't. We have no idea who's going to travel. We don't know anything. We don't know if, if, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson is, going to be going up against scout team players on the defensive side of the ball. And we don't know if the quarterback room was affected by whatever's going on at Utah either. We have, I don't know about you, George, I have no inside information whatsoever on this. I got a couple of sources with the university of Utah program. They haven't said a word. Um, If Utah is full ish strength, then they're going to they're going to win. They're going to be able to run the ball. I think that that's going to be the strength of their team this year. Um and defensively all they have to do is make enough plays. Uh but if if there's any issue with like if Wilmore doesn't play or if you know, if there's no Rising or Bentley and we're left to the we're left with a third quarterback I don't know. I think I think there's a chance UCLA gets this done. So 
with no knowledge of the situation and with absolutely zero confidence in the pick, I'm going with UCLA for the second week in a row, which is always a bad idea. Yeah. Um, I am taking, I agree with everything you said about not knowing anything. And that's exactly why I'm taking the Bruins. <laughs> you said you, I don't even know how you, how could Utah be favored by three and a half points? They don't even have a full team right now. That's the more disrespect. You're talking about disrespect. That's the most, not Wednesday night, Pac-12 football, three and a half point favorites over a, over a school that might not have any players. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, that's that's more that's more disrespectful. Okay, so who do you who do you have in this game? I got UCLA and UCLA on both sides yeah. of this. Yeah, I'm I'm I'll roll with it because I we don't even know. I mean, we're making the assumption that UCLA would beat air, right? Like they'd be able to run plays in a practice and complete passes and not fumble. We're just we're ma- we're we're left to assume absolutely nothing is going to be on the other side of the ball for the Utes, and so because of that, even though I like some of the pieces that Utah has offensively, I'm not so sure about their defense. If if it's their defense, it's over because they were already gonna have an issue. So if the issue is with their defense. UCLA is going to win. If the issue is with Utah's offense, then how are they going to keep pace? It's got to be UCLA. Yeah, I, I don't see any other, I guess, tenable solution besides picking UCLA. I, I just don't. I don't know how it even. I don't know, dude. I, I don't know how there's even any. I, I don't even know how Utah's favorite. Like th- that seems like the most disrespectful thing that I've ever <laughs> that I've ever seen. Let's I mean, this is in LA, right? Yes, and it's yeah. I mean, but it's you know, it's it, it's the Rose Bowl. It's quiet. Yeah, but I, I there's a million jokes you can make right there. But the fact of the matter is, Utah historically is garbage in Los Angeles. Mm. Well, it's it's probably because of the ruckus UCLA fans. Um, (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Hopefully you guys have an amazing week. Next week when we post our podcast, we will have our totals and Ralph will be able to tell you how badly I'm obliterating him in the the standings for, for, for game picking. You gave it back this week. I'm just telling you right now, that Oregon State pick, we're going to be even. Yeah, right. And you're going to be thinking I'm Nostradamus again for for picking (laughs) Pac-12 North games. All right. uh, Peace out. Catch you guys next episode.